Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. The World Cup is underway in Qatar, and while it won't stop billions of people tuning in, it's never had such a contentious start. Today, host of the Ticket podcast, Tracy Holmes, on corruption, bribery and human rights abuses, and why she thinks the Arab nation has been judged too harshly. Tracy, it's been a fascinating start to the World Cup and the reasons for that are largely nothing to do with actual football. But an already unusual World Cup has turned bizarre. Qatar's human rights record and hardline stance against homosexuality keeps causing headaches. Soccer fans have received some sobering news after Qatar announced alcoholic drinks would no longer be sold at World Cup stadiums. FIFA has written to the 32 teams competing in the tournament to tell them to stop dragging football into what it called every ideological or political battle. I want to get an understanding from you about why this World Cup has been far more about the politics than the sport. And I think a good way to start off would be having a look at this news conference given by the FIFA president a day before the Cup started. Yes, well, Gianni Infantino was responding to the 12-year-long, really intense scrutiny, the most intense scrutiny ever put on a country hosting the FIFA World Cup. Today, I have uh, very strong feelings. So there's been um, long and sustained criticism over the treatment of migrant workers, uh, of LGBTQI people, of women. Um, It's human rights Mm -hmm. record generally. Today I feel Arab. So he was basically saying, today I feel Qatari, today I feel Arab, today I feel African, today I feel gay, Mm -hmm. today Today I feel feel disabled, today I feel like a migrant worker. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. And he was quickly criticised for the comments, some people suggesting a real lack of understanding of the magnitude of the issues that he was talking about. But when you hear the whole hour speech, you get the sense he was really fuming underneath because, um, to be fair, the Western media have been relentless Mm. and they haven't covered the story in its completeness or its complexity. Let me first assure you that every decision that is taken in this World Cup is a joint decision between Qatar and FIFA. People thought that the president was in some way making light of those issues or didn't quite grasp the severity of it. So that was a press conference that sort of set the stage for the opening of the World Cup that came a day later. Why don't we now, Tracy, step back in time to get a sense of how it is that Qatar secured the cup in the first place? So in 2009, Qatar put in the most extravagant bid in the history for the event. They spent tens of millions of dollars. What makes us want to host the World Cup is our belief in football. At the time, they said it was part of the vision um, of the tournament to help bridge the gap between the West and the Arab world. Bringing the World Cup to Qatar will be bringing the World Cup to the Middle East for the first time. 
Tracy, who else was bidding for it back then? The US was seen as the favourite at the mm-hmm. time, but Australia was also in it. Uh, South Korea and Japan had also put their hands up. Hi, I'm Nicole Kidman, and I'm going to show you why Australia is ready to host the FIFA World Cup. But in 2010, the announcement was made. Yep, it was. And mm-hmm. uh, when the president at the time, Sepp Blatter, opened the envelope and read out, the winner is Qatar. World Cup is Qatar. <laughs> It was shock to many people and uh, a real surprise to others. Qatar's human rights record was immediately a focus. Uh, The country's sporting traditions had a limited connection to football. Uh, The nation's climate was considered to be many um, to be inhospitable. Um, They've since moved from the traditional June-July window when the cup is staged to now, November, December. Mm -hmm. Um, Nations who drink a lot were immediately up in arms because alcohol is not widely available here. Um, Homosexuality is illegal and um, they had to build a whole host of new stadiums. Mm. The German tabloid Bild at the time uh, printed the headline Catastrophe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of people, the West, thought this was going to be a disaster. Given everything that was stacked against the bid, everything that you just mentioned, why on earth, Tracy, did... Qatar win? Uh, There are many, many reasons for that. Um, FIFA had been trying to expand the World Cup to make the game um, that is played by everybody to be staged in parts of the world that were not Europe or America. Um, But this bid was quickly dogged by allegations of bribery and corruption. Uh, In 2011, reports emerged um, that the nation had paid millions of dollars in bribes. That was first reported by the Sunday Times. The UK's Sunday Times claims it has millions of secret documents, emails, letters and bank transfers, which it alleges are proof of corruption. Mm -hmm. Qatar denied the Sunday Times report. Uh, In nine years later, in 2020, after years of investigations and indictments, the US Department of Justice said that representatives working for Qatar and Russia had bribed FIFA officials to secure the hosting rights for this cup. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know Russia hosted the event back in 2018. Uh, But earlier than that, the Garcia report uh, into the 2018 and 2022 bids found that bribery had been conducted by every bidding nation, including Australia, Mm. with the lone exception of Belgium. So what we're talking about here, Sam, really was FIFA and the way FIFA operated and the way FIFA did its deals. Mm. And so I guess, you know, when you talk about bribery and corruption, many people say they just did what everyone else was doing, but they did it better. Mm, And money really talks, doesn't it? I mean, it's a huge, huge event, this World Cup, just so people have got a perspective, because I didn't know this, that more people watch the World Cup than watch the Olympics. Yeah. Of course, the corruption is exposed, but Qatar begins building the infrastructure. It becomes pretty clear, doesn't it, that there's a lot of problems with that too? Yeah, well, the focus really has been um, the the reports of the migrant workers. Mm. Hosting at the 2022 Soccer World Cup after a report found construction workers in the Gulf state were being treated virtually as modern-day slaves. The report by the UK's Guardian newspaper found several dozen Nepalese workers... Workers, um, as we know, you know, really low-paid workers from Nepal, Bangladesh, Pakistan. Uh, the conditions they were living in were unsanitary, overcrowded accommodation. 
in some cases not receiving their money or, or being paid too little. Mm. The Guardian rang embassies and compiled death tallies from these nations and the number they came up with was 6,500 migrant workers. Now that headline has become 6,500 migrant workers have died building the, the, the venues here for the World Cup. When you extrapolate that figure, these are migrants who come here who also work in the hospital system, uh, they work in executive offices, they work in every strata of society. So when you get those figures from a consulate or an embassy, uh, you're talking about the people that have died. Some people have lived here, weren't even economically active and they'd been here for a couple of generations. Um, so all of those figures were very much mixed up, but all of them thrown in and labelled with deaths associated to building World Cup facilities, which is not quite right. Mm, okay, so we might not know the exact number of migrant workers working on the infrastructure for the World Cup that died. We may never know the exact figure, but we do know for certain from reporting that we've seen that there was some pretty bad treatment going on. Can I just quickly add on to that? Because yeah. um, they had what is um, commonly used throughout the Gulf region here called the kafala system. Uh, that's been described as a form of modern slavery. That has since been dismantled in Qatar. And they'd established a, a labour court here. There was a grievance mechanism put in place for the first time. This has all happened in the last three years or so. That shows the enormity of the problem that existed. Um, but I think it also shows the changes that have taken place and the will to try and address this. Mm, okay, so the lead up to this World Cup, it's shrouded in controversy. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, Tracy, tell me, how are the players feeling about all of this? Well, players um, from Western nations have been pretty active throughout this. The Socceroos were the first World Cup team uh, that came out and did something very spe uh, specific on the eve of the World Cup. And so they released a video message, 16 players reading uh, lines from a collective statement. We have learned that progress has been made both on paper and in practice. The kafala system has largely been dismantled. Working conditions have improved. They acknowledge in their video the changes that have made in Qatar and they urge for changes to continue to be made. remains inconsistent and requires improvement. As players, we fully support the rights of the LGBTI plus people. But in Qatar, people are not free to love... We know that European teams launched what was known as the One Love Initiative and so that was in response to um, the illegality of homosexuality and in support of the LGBT community here in Qatar. Mm -hmm. And they said they would like to wear armbands during the game that express this One Love logo. Uh, but FIFA stated any captain who did wear the armband uh, would face sanctions, a yellow card effectively. And we know that in football, if you get two yellow cards, you need to miss the next match. So those seven European teams buckled and said, well, they weren't going to wear the armbands. Mm. Now, one of the things that's really important is that the Iranian team, uh, in the face of reprisals for their families at home in Iran uh, and for them when they get home, it's expected, uh, they stood arm in arm before their first match. They stood arm in arm before their first match yesterday, refused to sing the national anthem. Uh, and that was in solidarity with a 22-year-old woman who died while in the custody of morality police. And that has spurred three months of violent protests in Iran. So, you know, it's interesting that there is a team here mm -hmm. who is prepared to take the punishment um, because they believe in this so strongly. Mm. 
and in the end, do you think it will be deemed a success or do you think in future the world should take a stand, a human rights stand, and not have big world events like this in nations like Qatar? That is such a complex question, Sam, because I'm also conscious of the fact that next year Australia is hosting uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup. Mm. And when we start talking about things like this, you know, we haven't seen um, 10 years of sustained criticism about our own human rights record, about the incarceration of Indigenous people, which is the worst in the world, about Aboriginal deaths in custody, about our treatment of refugee and asylum seekers. We haven't had that. And so that's where you get this um, double standard. Many people will tune into this. It'll probably set records. Uh, more people watch the, the World Cup than the Olympics, as you stated. But I think as far as the Western media is concerned, uh, it's never going to let Qatar be a success. Tracy Holmes is the host of The Ticket podcast. You can find it on the ABC Listen app. The next World Cup is in 2026 and will be jointly hosted by 16 cities in Canada, Mexico and the United States. The Women's World Cup next year kicks off in July in Auckland before concluding in Sydney in August. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Sam Dunn and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer this week is Sydney Pede. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.